0: big transition, right? So I, I've, I've often, I've told you guys, I shared a, a while back, I don't remember exactly when it was, about when I get quiet, I tend to get outside, I like to sit out, and and I just said I enjoy gardening. That's when I get quiet and I hear from God. You can tell where I got quiet today. I got a little too much quiet <laughs> out in the sun. I got I didn't get too much quiet, but I got a little more sun than I intended to, But but I got quiet outside. And recently, as I was doing that, I started thinking about um, our children. And Amy and I are in what what people call a transition time of life. Uh, We're empty nesters now. It's not nearly as bad as they tell you it's going to be. I promise. If you're facing that, you guys, God has great things for you after your children are gone. They're a blessing. They're a blessing, and good things happen while they're there. But, you know, He prepares you each step along the way. So don't look to it with dread and anxiety. It's a good thing. But our boys are, are both married now. We have, we're transitioning. We have two new children. They're both married. We have beautiful daughters-in-law that we love and are learning and getting to know. And So we're praying differently for our children than we ever have. We're believing differently. for Our, tri- our priorities and things in life have, have shifted. And it's a good thing. And God has blessed us. But I was sitting out there thinking about our kids. And uh, I loved my kids. I still do. As a parent, you always love your kids. And I was going back. How many of you can just blink and go back to something that happened years and years ago with your kids? And it's a great thing the Lord has given us in these minds that he equipped us with. But I was thinking about blowing bubbles on our back porch. We lived in Kansas City at the time. And we had a little little patio, literally like a patio. Because if you put a table on it, you couldn't eat at the table. But it was a patio. It's what the builder called a patio, like 10 by 10 or something. What came with the house? But we were out there, and we had a little blue. The Jonathan had a little blue uh, boat-shaped little pool thing that had a cover on it. You know, it could be a sandbox too, which not in my house. But a little pool, and it was a, <laughs> it was a good thing. And then God knew we were going to be in Florida with sand. Who knew? Uh, but anyway, so we were out there, and we were blowing bubbles, and and the kids loved to blow bubbles, and we'd blow them, and they would chase them. Have you ever anybody else had this experience with your kids? And they like them. They're shiny and they're pretty, and they're big, and you just stand there, and you pull that little wand out. Now, when I was a kid, the bottles were about that big, and you had to stick your finger down in the bottle and go like this to find the wand. Does anybody remember that? Now they attach it to the lid. These kids don't know what it is to suffer through digging for a bubble wand. But you had to dig that bubble wand out, and you'd blow those bubbles. And in doing that, I was thinking about how these bubbles come out, and there's, you know, one, one breath, and you had to, you had to kind of stand back like this when you got the bubble stuff out, because it would drip all over your shoes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so you stand back. I know I'm taking you down memory lane here. If you never blew bubbles, you should go get some and blow bubbles <laughs> so you get home. So anyway, if I'm blowing bubbles, and just, humor, isn't it amazing how one breath just <sighs> had bubbles and bubbles that would come out of that stuff? Unless you got the cheap ones, you didn't want the cheap bubbles. They, they couldn't even get a bubble out of those. But but for the most part, when you blew, pulled that out and you blew into it, there bubbles. And you could try and make big bubbles, you know, that kind of lighted off real slowly. Or you just blew hard and blew up bubbles just everywhere. Well, the kids would chase those bubbles. And I started thinking spiritually about bubbles. I know. I know. Brother Moore would probably never use bubbles as, an, <laughs> as, a, as a sermon illustration. But you're getting bubbles tonight. so, But it's a good thing. But I started thinking about bubbles in a spiritual way and how... God has given us all of these things that we are supposed to know, all this knowledge and instruction and wisdom in His Word that we know. And if you think about that in terms of bubbles, um, I was talking about how the kids chase bubbles. They chase the big ones. They go after the ones that are going up higher and that they're moving fast. But there's all kinds of bubbles falling to the wayside all the time. And I think if those bubbles could have labels, a lot of the bubbles would have labels like salvation, healing, blessings. I forgot to get the rest of my notes out. I need to get those out. You didn't think there was only two pages, did you? No, come on. You've been around me long enough to know better than that. But anyway, um, those bubbles, the big ones might have things like salvation and healing and blessing and prosperity and provision. All of those things that Jesus provided for us on the cross. Those are the wonderful benefits that we have of being a Christian. But there's other bubbles that have been given to us Things like discipleship, faithfulness. See how quiet it gets. No one talks about these bubbles. Obedience, trust, prayer, fellowship with the Father. Those are all things that, we, that are also things we need to have some knowledge about. We need to know about these bubbles. We need to understand that. It's not enough to go after the bright, shiny ones all the time. You need these other things too. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, when I blow into that little bubble wand and all those bubbles came out, every single bubble was full of my breath. I gave life to that little bubble. And I think about that. So if you think about it from God's perspective, is any one of those bubbles less important than another? Every one is full of life and breath that He's breathed into them for us. So these are instructions So, that's how I got to bubbles and instructions, was thinking about bubbles. See, what we want is we want to dwell in abundance and blessing and provision, but we don't want to talk about obedience, trust, and faithfulness. We want the results that Abraham got, but we don't want to know how he got there. We want all the blessing, but Abraham did things along the road that qualified him for the next thing. And we're going to talk about Jesus and what he did for us. That's a wonderful thing. But God doesn't change. And as a father, he has all of these big bubbles for us, blessing and prosperity and healing. Those are all good things. But he got to learn some of these other things along the way so that you can qualify for more in every one of those areas. Amen? Amen. So it's a good thing. God did not... Um, I wrote down, God did not choose Abraham to be the father of nations and the father of our faith because he was perfect. I know you think, God, he must have been perfect from birth. Actually, he came out of a pretty iffy environment. But God looked down, and to me, the miracle that came out of that to me is God looked down on Abraham and saw a sinful person with a willing heart and said, I can use them. There's hope in that. Because if you're looking for perfection, he wouldn't have ever found it. But he can take us where we are, and what we're seeking, and use us. He picked Abraham out, and look what he did with Abraham. And we're going to look at why Abraham did that. When God spoke to him, he listened. When God promised him, he trusted in those promises. And when God commanded, he obeyed. So all of that is prologue to the title, which is listen, trust, obey, listen, trust, and obey. We've already started talking about Abraham, so we're going to actually look at the story in Genesis, um, and we'll lay a foundation here in Genesis 21, and I thank you guys, I did almost everything out of NIV tonight, I didn't put that in my notes, so we'll have lots of grace and mercy if they're not quite right with me, okay, but Genesis 21, we're going to start at verse 1. Says Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Sarah had become pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Logic and reason do not apply. Logic and reason would say, I don't know that we have any hundred-year-old men in here, but we have some that are, you know, a couple decades from that. Logic and reason say that you're not setting out to start a family. In this day and age. Do we have any 80 plus year olds that are out looking to start a family? Not a single hand. But God had promised this to Abraham. So it was counter to reason. It wasn't common then either. It was counter to reason that Abraham would would be able to father a child. And that Sarah would be able to take care of that child. It was counter to reason. But it was a spiritual matter. Right? Right? So I'm going to go on. We're going to read the story of Isaac now, Genesis 22. We're going to jump down. Sometime later, God tested, starting with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. He was listening. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And the next few verses here are trust because he's doing what God has asked him to do, and trust that God is taking care of it. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I go there, while I go, excuse me, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. And then it gets into a place of obedience. Now, I know we've all heard the story, and there are many things about faith that are to be learned through all these scriptures, but bear with me. Um, verse 9, When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I don't know how much closer this could have gotten but the indication is it got really close. He was willing to follow through. This wasn't an act. Um, he had already, you know, in today's work, now can't you just see child services all over the trauma that this child is being put through these days? Think about that. I believe Isaac had a spiritual viewpoint too. He has to have and had that trust with his father. So spiritual things are spiritual even to children. Well, that's a whole nother conversation, but, but oftentimes more so with children, easier for children. But but this has gone as far as it could be. And, and then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. I like the exclamation points there because it's clear that God knew he was going to follow through with it. The angel is saying, hey, Abraham, listen to me. Don't do this. He said, here I am. Even in that moment, he was still listening. He had committed, but he was still listening. "'Do not lay hand on the boy,' he said. "'Do not do anything to him. "'Now I know that you fear God "'because you have not withheld from me your only son.'" Your son, your only son. "'Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket "'he saw a ram caught by its horns. "'He went over and took the ram "'and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. "'So Abraham called that place, "'The Lord will provide,' And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from from heaven a second time, verse 16, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All of this is relative to what we're going to be talking about. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Through this whole chapter, I know that was a lot to read, but Abraham listened. He trusted that God had a plan and would fulfill his promise. And he obeyed to the point of sacrifice. Listen, trust, and obey. So tonight we're going to talk about those three areas. We can apply these three simple things, listening, trusting, and obeying. Those are keys to the faith breakthroughs that Abraham saw. Through the sacrifice, you're going to see, um, Abraham obviously had a heart for God. He had a willingness to listen, to trust, and to do through that, God was able to produce faith. In those last scriptures there, the angel of the Lord said, because of his actions, nations would be blessed. His, he would have, uh, as far as the stars in the sky, his descendants, that nations would be blessed. All, uh, your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So through his, uh, through his um, obedience, faith came. You see the order there? Okay, because we're going to come back to that. So we're going to talk about some, some basic things because I think the application of the word is very important. How do we listen? How do I trust him? Those are questions that we get from the kids sometimes. Well, I, I'm listening, but I don't ever hear God talking to me. Well, you've got to know how to, how to listen. We have to be taught how to listen. We got to know what trust is. If I ask people that we'd get multiple definitions of what trust is and how trust is developed, we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about obedience because it is the last step uh, of of faith. And we're going to talk about that. So how do I listen? Hearing from God is an intentional act. It's not passive. Uh, By that, um, I mean, I can hear you but not hear you. I can hear you talking, Um, if Rob and Carrie were over there whispering, I could have an, they're not, don't want to to cast any dispersions here, they're not talking, they're being wonderful, (laughs) supportive people, but if they were over there whispering, I could have an awareness, I could even hear maybe that they were whispering, but I couldn't necessarily hear what they were saying. That's not the same as listening, and it's exactly the same with God. I mean, how many of you have children again? I read an adage the other day that raising children, you can practice on rocks because they have similar listening habits. <laughs> Don't speak that over your children. But there's a little, little wee bit nugget of truth in there. Children <laughs> and kids, I tell people, I, we talk to the teachers about children here with their eyes. If they're not looking at you, they're not listening to you. And actually, adults are the same way. If you're not looking up here, I can tell you're looking at your phone, you're doing something else, you're not listening. It's a, it's a choice to listen. I have to engage this. And really, you really truthfully do. There's a little truth to that. You do hear with your eyes. I can nod in agreement and be sitting here doing this. And Amy, was, Amy has often said to me, I told you. And I said, but I wasn't listening. Not saying you should do that, husbands. But, but it's the truth. Sometimes, how many times have people been telling you something and you have an awareness, but your mind, when the conversation started was somewhere else and you were on a different track... You weren't, um, they weren't hearing you because they weren't listening. So listening is intentional. The scripture says in Jeremiah 29, uh, 12 and 13, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So there's an intention in seeking him in trying to hear from him. You have to listen. Seems simple, doesn't it? There are some challenges, and we're going to talk about that. You also have to believe that God has a personal message and direction for you. For you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we could all quote it, but it says, For for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He's not talking to a group of people. He's talking to you and you. And you, and I could go around and point at every single person. Yes. He's taught, He has a personal message for you. Nobody has cornered the market on God's plan for their life. There's one for every person in this room, and they're all different. There's one for every person in Branson, and they're all different. There's one for everybody that's listening to this broadcast, and everybody that will listen to this broadcast, and they're all different. They're all tied to serving Him, but they're all different. Psalms 139.13, 13. um, and we, you, most of you know this scripture too, but I'm going to read it. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Pray, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You should highlight this part, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That sounds like a plan to me. An individual, personal plan. How vast is the sum of them? So you have to believe. First, got to listen. You, that's just amazing to me. Listen entails listening. But it is an active of choice. It, is, it isn't easy. Second, you got um, to believe that he has a message for you, that he has a plan for you, that you have a reason to listen to him. If you don't believe God has anything to say to you, why would you listen to him? I'm not seeking out people that have nothing to say. I'm busy. i got things going on in my day every single day. I don't sit out front with a sign, with, come see me if you have nothing to say. You, but I am seeking people who have who have information, that have uh, good testimonies to share. God is seeking people who will listen to what He has to say. And you have to believe that He has something to say to you. Not to everybody else, but to you. It's personal. And then third, this is why listening is the, probably the most hard, is we have to eliminate distractions. This goes back a little bit to what Mrs. Moore said about Um, giving up your Isaac. Does everybody remember that? She asked us as a church to, um, she didn't make you, but she gave you the opportunity to commit, to finding what is that thing? What is that distraction? What is that thing that's your Isaac, your favorite thing in the whole world, and give it up for three days and see if it didn't change your life? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure some people in here did that. And others committed to do it and didn't, but you know, it's not too late. You can start your three days tomorrow, tonight. You can still do it. You can still get caught up on it. But, but I wrote down, God is not going to scream and yell to get your attention. The truth is, he mostly speaks to us in a still, soft, quiet voice. In here. As Brother Moore says, not audibly, but distinctly inside me, I hear him. And look at 1 Kings 19, the story of Elijah. The Lord said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. This is verse 11, sorry. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but... The Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. That's when he spoke. All of those things are out there. And I think we as people are so often sitting here thinking, okay, God, I'm ready for signs and wonders. I know when you talk to me, it's going to be a sign and a wonder. It's going to be, you don't want handwriting on the wall. That wasn't a good situation, guys. (laughs) We won't revisit that, but that wasn't a blessing. That was a last minute. <laughs> get it now. You don't want that. You don't want him to have to. You want, as a parent, do you want Rob for, to have to scream and yell at Caleb and Jessica? I know she's older now, but, but still, you're still a kid. They're always our kids. Do you want to have to scream and yell at them to get their attention? Do you want to have to stomp your feet and wave your arms and say, You're not listening to me? Listen to me. No. Well, God is our parent, He's our Father. He's the same way. He's not going to stand there and go, I won't do jumping jacks in front of you, and I'm not doing a cartwheel, so don't ask. But he's not going to do the little jig to get your attention. He wants you to intently be listening to him so that when he speaks, you hear him. So you have to eliminate those distractions. Um, Be intentional. Be still. Get a spot. I shared with you something that I had journaled a while back. And I'm not going to read it again tonight, but it's was talking about. Dave said this a few weeks ago. Rest doesn't come naturally. I don't like to sit. I'm much, I'm much happier busy. I'm not one of those people that likes this project and it's done, and then we do this project and it's done, and we do this project and it's done. I want like six projects, and we're kind of going like this, and then we go to this project, and we go to this project, and somebody else can do the, all the carrying through each one, But I want to be there going, let's do this and let's do that and let's direct this. Being rest and sitting and listening is not natural to me. But I can choose it. And when I choose it, you get the (laughs) he shows up. You get the direction. So it's not, I, I wrote down here, the issue is not that we don't have time. The issue is that we don't make time. How many times have we said I don't have time to do that? The truth is you have time to do everything that you want to do. That's right. I've had to give myself that lesson in dealing with some things in my life. It's not that I don't have time to do them, it's that I haven't chosen to do that yet. That's a lousy excuse for not getting it done. So it's not that we don't have time, it's that we don't make time. The scripture says in John ten twenty seven, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. How do we know his voice? Because I've heard it. I'm used to hearing him. I could choose someone in this audience that I maybe know your face, but I've never heard you speak a word. And I could close my eyes, and I would not even recognize your voice. It could be anybody. I'm around Dan. I'm around Rob and Carrie. And many of you I talk to on a regular basis. I don't have to see your face to know your voice. I know immediately who's talking to me. I can hear a voice in the hallway. Actually, you learn their steps, Same thing. When I'm in my office, we have tile everywhere, as I'm sure you have noticed. We have tile. Tile is loud, but I can tell by from when someone is coming down the hall or hits the hits the kitchen coming to my office. I can tell who it is by their footsteps. Shara has little tiny steps because she has those heels that are like this. <laughs> God bless you, women. But you know, there's that there's a distinct sound that those little heels make. There's a different sound when the guys come through. And and, and I won't won't do Rob, but it's louder and harder on the floor. (laughs) It's all in love. It's all in love. But you know, it's the same thing. Why do I know that? Because I'm familiar with them. I've spent enough time around them that I've heard them walk. I've heard them talk. We know each other. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We know each other because we've spent time together. You have to hear his voice to know his voice. And to do that, you're going to have to take time. And then the last point on this, on this listening is I wrote down open heart or attitude. And sometimes I write down little, little ones beside it that are like subtitles. And the subtitle on this one, I don't always share those. Sometimes it's just to help me remember. But this one says, don't assume you know what you're going to hear. Speaking with God is not about listening to what we want to hear. It's about what he has for us to hear. I think that this last step and I saved it for last because I think it's one of the hardest because I think there's a lot of assumption in the kingdom about what God wants us to hear. I think we think we know what God would do in this situation and I, will, I use myself as an example. Um, I've been around and worked for Mrs. Moore for a long time and a lot of the time Dave and I can tell you what she's going to say. Pretty good. But there are times when I know, even though I had good direction, even though I know I've been told how to do this in the past, I know this time I need to ask, because I get that prompting inside. Something's a little different about this one. And I'll go to her, and you know what? The answer is not the same. Now, I could have answered the question, because I had an answer. I've been given instruction. But you cannot assume or presume to know what God is going to say to you in a situation. And this is where I think people in faith circles... Brother Moore has talked recently a lot about false or feigned faith. We think we know what God wants us to stand for. We think we know what he's told us to believe for. But we haven't asked. We haven't listened to what he has for us in this situation. Amen? Listening means that you're open to receive what is being said. We've talked about that. We've learned also that you can't, it's not about what I can say. It's not about what I can impart to you. It's not about what knowledge I have. It's what you're willing to hear. I just recently, this in the last couple of weeks, I was in a situation where, um, you know, we it, it has nothing to do with this church, so don't don't try and second guess everything, but someone had had brought a situation to my attention and immediately I had some direction on it. But immediately it was shut down. That troubles me because I want to help people. If I have an answer, if Rob has an answer for me, I want him to give it to me. But if I won't receive it from him, it is not beneficial for him to give it. It'll just make me mad. It'll just distance us further. Do you see that? It's not what I have. It's not the information that somebody has. It's what you're willing to receive. And you know God is sitting there going, I've got it. i got the answer. All he's waiting for you while you're running around doing this and running around doing that and picking the kids up here and going to do this. And well, we got to do this and we got to take care of that. And don't forget, we got to go do this and we got to vote on Tuesday morning. We got to do this. I got to get up early. I got to get this. All he wants to do is for you to take one second. And the problem is that in the midst of all that craziness, you're going, God, why aren't you answering this for me? And he's just waiting for you to go. We're not waiting on God, folks. We're not waiting on Him. Listening cannot be assumed. Many Christians skip over the hearing from God and go right into the trusting or the faith, what they think is faith. We're talking about Abraham. God gave Abraham very clear direction on Isaac. He said, Lord, He said, Abraham, and He said, Here I am. And God said, I'm paraphrasing, but God said, I want you to take Abraham. I want you to sacrifice him. This is where I want you to do it. This is, gave him the instructions. He heard from God. Let's take away that whole story and suppose Abraham got up one morning and just said, I'm going to test God. I'm going to test God. Same set of circumstances. Everything's the same except God did not tell him to do it. He didn't hear from God. He decided he was going to do something to see if God would respond. You think, well, that's kind of harsh. What if he? And then he'd be mad at God because God didn't show up. God didn't tell him to be there in that scenario. But we're doing it every day. We're doing it every day And when we're getting a report from a doctor. We're not inquiring of the Lord what to do about it. I cannot tell you the conversations that I have had with people that are kind of... There's people that are on the outskirts of a church. They've never set foot in these doors, but they may... Maybe it's somebody that does hair for 10 people in the church. Maybe it's somebody that works with them in a professional way at a, at a mechanic. There's people that are on the outsk- outsides of the church. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in those situations where I'm talking to somebody who says, Oh, your church, they don't believe in doctors. You guys are faith people. Those are not mutually exclusive things and you've never heard that taught from this pulpit. We you've never heard no doctors from this pulpit. You've heard inquire from the Lord. We know that we are healed. We know what was done for us. But you have to walk in the light that you have. You have to t- you don't you don't take on a big fight of faith that you're not ready for. David didn't go straight to Goliath. He started as a shepherd boy. That prepared him for Goliath. Faith is exactly the same way. That's why we're talking about these stories. Because those are preparation for what's to come. You can't jump out here in the middle of the ocean when you can't swim. You don't start kids in the middle of the ocean with swimming lessons. We start them in a pool in the backyard in a controlled environment with floaties or whatever needs to happen, right? We don't start learning to swim in in a riptide. But we, that's what, we laugh and it's true. That makes common sense, right? You don't do that. But people are doing it every day in faith and they're disappointed because God didn't show up. And He didn't have anything to do with God showing up. We've been learning about this and it's really, really good. We're doing it with our doctors. We're doing it in family situations. We're doing it in marriages. We're, we, we immediately go to spouting scripture, which is a good thing. The word is a very good thing. But we don't inquire of the Lord, what's this answer? Mrs. Moore talks about that. They don't go around counseling people, but they do counsel people if the Lord tells them to counsel somebody. If he gives them something to say, they'll say it. She's not shy, have you noticed? (laughs) Mrs. Moore, (laughs) has she ever been called shy? You cannot be around her very long and think the woman is shy. But more importantly, she's committed to what God's called her to do. And if God tells her to do something, I've I've seen it. As uncomfortable as it may be, they're going to do it. Because because God has there, it's more important to them to get past the uncomfortable, to get you what God has for you. That's a big deal. Amen? So I put down, in all caps, standing on a truth is not standing on the truth. A and the. Standing on a truth is not the same as standing on the truth. And if you don't have the truth in a situation, then a truth is not going to suffice. It's good to know the word. It's better to know how that word applies to your life than what God has told you about it. Amen? It's a good thing. We must be open to hearing God's word on the situation before we jump into faith and obedience mode. So we're listening, right? What's the second one? Trust. We're going to jump to trust. All right. Trust, I just wrote down the, the definition of that is a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. Synonyms, we could name them confidence. You have confidence in them. You have a belief. You have a faith. You have a certainty. You have an assurance. You have a conviction. You're relying on them, right? And we talk about it in our relationships. We talk about trust is earned. But trust is also sometimes granted. When you get on an airplane, with rare exception, do you know the pilot? Are you trusting that he knows how to fly that plane? You're granting trust and confidence that he knows how to fly that plane and get you from here to wherever there is. So trust can be granted. But the God kind of trust is established. Over time, not I'm not saying God God has to earn that right with us. We have to learn to be that we can trust Him. We have the learning to do. God is faithful, Amen. But it requires exercise, and we talk about exercising your faith. Um, the The image of an elite athlete comes up. You know what an elite athlete is? It's they're at the top of their game, whatever their sport is. They are out there, and uh, they're fit. They are focused. They are practiced. They know what they're going to do. You don't become an elite runner and wake up one morning and have those thighs and have, all, <laughs> have that lean body mass. and all. I know I know a little bit. I know it's hard to believe, but I know a little bit about being fit. I need to get back to being fit. And praise God. He's working on us. But there's, they didn't wake up one morning ready to be an elite runner. They didn't wake up and be and we're, were prepared for running a marathon. That takes time. It takes preparation. You're gonna build to that level, right? You're gonna start doing this. You're gonna you know, you're not gonna run five miles till you can run a mile. And you're gonna run a mile for a while and you're gonna build that up over time. They have built up their endurance, they've built up their bodies to be able to take the the, the pain, <laughs> I guess, for lack of a better word. It's of, that, of what they're putting their bodies through. They're building up their endurance to do that. That didn't just happen overnight. That requires using those muscles, exercising those muscles. We've all got them. We just use them to different extremes, to different different extents, right? So, um, but, but the point is that we have to build that up. Trust is common. That's a common theme throughout the Bible. That's not because God had to tell us. It's because we need to hear it over and over and over again that we can trust Him. I think David... Must have needed to exercise his trust muscle a lot. Because if you look at the Psalms, it's full of trust, trust, trust. Don't try and put these up. I'm going to read through them real quick. But Psalms 9.10 says, God has never forsaken those who seek Him. We trust in you. Psalms 13.5, I trust in your unfailing love. Psalms 27. 20 verse 7, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalms 31, 14, I trust you, I say you are my God. Psalms 28:7, the Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusts in him, he helps me. And that's just what, one, two, three, four, five, five, and literally didn't take five minutes to find them. Just thumbing through. So the Bible is full of examples of God's trust and how we learn to trust him and reasons to trust him. He's delivered us, he's made a way in the midst of no way. Where there was no way, He's made a way. He's delivered us. He's healed us. He's, he's taken good care of us. He's provided for us. All of the reasons to trust Him are there, but we still have to choose to trust. We still have to grow in trust. How do I exercise my trust? First, you completely surrender yourself to Him. There's no surprises to God. He knows it all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there's no ugly that He can't fix. Somebody should have sounded hallelujah. There's nothing that you've done that's bigger than anything he can fix. There's nothing that you've said that can't be undone in him. There's nothing you've broken that can't be restored. None of those things. You have to to put your trust in him. You have to fully surrender to him. Just like in Jeremiah above, you have to believe he has a good plan for you and that it's better than anything you could ever come up with on your own. When you completely surrender to him, one of the big tools that the enemy uses is he said, your plan does not align with God's plan. God's plan, no fun. Your plan, all fun. What he doesn't tell you is your plan leads to death and destruction. God's plan does not. But, the, but we, we hear the enemy telling us Well, if you're a child of God, who do you think is putting those desires in your heart? Where are those desires coming from? They're coming from the Lord. If you're a child of His, and you're focused on His things, what you'll find is what you thought was a great plan, and the way that mostly, for me, I can speak for me, for me, the path that I thought God would use to get me somewhere was not the same path that I would have chosen. But he still got me to the things that I had a desire for. I had, I had this, is not my des- this was not my desire, it was not my plan to be uh, working full time in any ministry. I had business plans, I had worked in the world, I enjoyed my work. God had other plans. And looking back on that, I can see how every single one of those things affected where I am today. But he's brought me further than I could have imagined into a better place than I could have imagined. I was talking about sitting out on our lanai when I left uh, the business world for good. What seven? No, ten years ago. It's in 2008. So we're right at ten years. When I we had I I'd volunteered up to that point, but when I left and came on the staff full time, um, the devil whispered, "You're you're giving it all up. You've peaked." You've made the most money you'll ever make. You've had the nicest house you'll ever have. You've driven the nicest car you'll ever have. But good for you. You're following God. Good for you. The devil's sarcastic. He, he tries to encourage you in a sarcastic sort of a way. But, but you know what? I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that because I'd been around the word enough to know that God God is not bound. Those are, That was not my source. And I say, I'm i telling you, we, we have a beautiful home. God has provided for us. More importantly, we have time to enjoy it. We have friends to enjoy it with. We just have celebrated Amy's birthday. She had a milestone. I won't tell you which one. We'll let her do that sometime. But it's somewhere near 50. <laughs> She's not upset about it, are you? No. We're at a good place in life. We're celebrating 50. But we, but we, we have a beautiful home. God has blessed us. Not out of what we can see, but out of what he's, His provision. I didn't make it happen, and I'll just tell you: if I'd stayed in the business world, even with the scripture I knew, you kind of think you're making it happen. Yeah. I closed this deal. I did this, even though you know God's helping you. Right. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's right, but but the but that's where I was. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're growing. We just you know we signed a six million dollar contract on this and five million on that and this and this and this. And this. You because you're focused on you. And I don't say that to be boastful, and it's not, you know. We, I don't have an explanation for it. I can just tell you that it's happened. And I sat out there today, listening to the waterfall on the pool running, looking at the plants that God has blessed. We're in Florida. I, who even knew that we wanted to live in Florida? I didn't. That was not the plan. Did we ever talk about Florida? Even when the church was being built here, it was always, oh, we're going to come help get this ready. This is so fun. Isn't it fun to visit Florida? <laughs> never, never went home. <laughs> and that wasn't because Florida's so great. And Florida is great. And I'm, when you're where you're supposed to be, you're where you're supposed to be. But it's because we found our place. This is where God had for us to be. All of the other blessings came because of that. The provision came in the obedience, which I'm getting ahead of myself. Y'all are doing that to me, huh? <laughs> but anyway, as, as, in, as we learned in Jeremiah, God has a plan for you that's better than your plan. You have to believe that. Second, you've got to get rid of negative thoughts. We talk, I don't know how many of you have watched, but um, there's a lady that talks a whole lot about this mind that God created and, and how powerful it is. Well, negative thoughts impact you much more than you realize. So you got to get rid of negative thoughts. Um, These minds that God created are very, very powerful. Unchecked negative thoughts will affect your mood, your attitude, and your actions. It goes from thought to action like that. And you think, no, it doesn't. I can be negative and not choose to act on it. No, because you know negativity spreads like wildfire. This person says something negative to that person. They were in a good mood until they heard that. Now they're all upset because so and so did such and such. And they didn't even know about it until that person told them. And then now this person knows it. And so this person's doing it. And it's just like gossip. By the time it gets down the chain, it's not even a true story anymore. And everybody's upset about it for a different reason. Just chop it off. Get rid of the negativity. When you find yourself thinking negative thoughts that are bringing you down... You can use scriptures, this thing right here called the Word. We know a lot about it. Amen? Amen. You can use this to build you up. We teach the kids. And if if you have children in class here, you know that memorization, scripture memorization is a big part of what we are pushing. We want the kids to get that Word inside of them. Know the Word. Know the Word. And when I was a kid, um, way back in the 1980s, when I was in junior high and high school, I guess it was. I guess it was late 70s, actually, when I was in elementary school time flies but we learned a lot of scripture songs you know just literally scripture set to music and we would and we didn't have pianos and we didn't have musicians we just sang scripture songs in class at the beginning of class every day and do you know that to this day today one came up i'm not going to sing it for you but one came up i don't have to But I, I really don't no Carrie that's not going to help I'm not doing it but, no. it's not, but, but the point is it isn't about singing it for you it's about those things come out of you at a necessary time that's been 40 years 40 years since I learned those songs 40 years since we had to memorize scripture after scripture after scripture and we didn't memorize verses we memorized chapters we had to memorize chapters and I thought when I was 10 it was the end of the world to have to recite that to the, to the we called them supervisors, we, we went to a private school and you raised a little flag when you had your memorization done and they came around and listened to you and if you missed anything, you started over and I thought that was torture, I did, I was a kid, I thought this is terrible, what am I ever going to do with all these scriptures? You ever heard that about math? What am I ever going to do with math? You're going to use it, kids. Keep keep doing it. <laughs> to this day, you have to measure and do things. But but if you, I thought I did. I was a kid and I thought these are why am I doing all this memorization? And some of you parents probably think, why do they make them memorize all these scriptures? Because it's inside of them then, and when the situation comes up, or they're at school, or they're away from you, those scriptures can will flow back to them like a river. And minister peace to them. And minister instruction to them. Minister life to them. So that's why we focus so much on it. And that is how, through this word, is how you counter negativity. When the enemy says you can't, you say, God's word said, I'm well able. When the enemy says you won't remember, you can say, I can do all things through Christ. that strengthens me. When the enemy says you're not going to live, you say, no, I will live and not die. If you don't know those scriptures, you have no counter to the discussion. Have you ever gotten in a debate about something you know nothing about? You'll lose. Even if you're on the right side, you'll lose. Why? Because you, the, a debate is all about uh, knowing your facts. Knowing The enemy is always trying to engage you in a debate. It's just like what I said. You know, you're not ever going to have those things. But good that you're working for the Lord. But you're never gonna have those things. All those things you dreamed about. Remember when you used to think about it? Be cool to have this or cool to have that. You're never gonna have that. But good for you. He's trying to engage you in a debate, and you and you're gonna lose if you don't have the word behind you. So to counter negativity, you need to do it. And and I know that um, words or songs are not all scripture, but there are scriptural songs, and those are good to have in your heart. I sing a lot. A lot more than the staff would want me to, probably. I'm sure they all hear little blips as I'm walking here or there. Because I have song in my heart. And it helps me. And it ministers to me. And it ministers peace to me. Because when this gets to going, sometimes you just need to slow it down with the Word. And a song or whatever will do that. So, Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. When the enemy comes, you can say, He has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Jeremiah 29, 11, We've talked about that. Those are scriptures. you got to have a counter to those negative thoughts. And the last one on trust is patience is one of the best exercises for trust. We live in an instant society. Everything is instant. If I text Amy and she doesn't answer, I will text the person in the office next to her And say, could you have Amy check her phone? I'd like to say that isn't true, but it is. There are days when it does that. And the thing of it is, it's not like she hasn't answered me for four hours. It's been like three minutes. But I need an answer. We also have extensions in our phone, by the way. I can pick up the phone, dial her extension, and get her voice. But no, we text, even in the building. How many of you have text in your own house? Instead of getting up, it's not good. I'm laughing. It's not good. I'm feeling conviction right now. I'm going to get that fixed and changed in my life. Glory to God. See, I'm being ministered to right now. This is good. This may be all about me tonight, guys. But we. But it's that instant response. Instant. I want my answer now. I want to know if I got that loan. I want to know if I got this. I want to know if I got that car. I want to know about this and this and this. And, and man, news... Within minutes of something happening, seconds, it's out there. It's not all good because it's not all true now. The difference between news a few years ago and the news now is you're reporting what you're hearing versus reporting a fact. That's why the story changes so much over the first few hours of a breaking news story because they're no longer checking facts. They're just trying to be the first ones out there because, because there's so many methods to get it out there. You know? People people don't have to wait for the news to do it anymore. They post it on Facebook. They tweet about it. I don't. I'm not on Twitter. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works on Instagram and all those things. But it's out there so quickly that it's not factual anymore. It's confusing, right? But as patience is patience will work. It's perfect work. In our instant society, we're not used to waiting. This is a good ex, a good exercise for the trust muscle. Pace, p- pressed muscle. Sorry. Patience is one of the biggest ways the enemy has deceived so many people. God said it. Why hasn't it happened yet? devil ever said that to you? I thought God told you this was going to happen. And then then he progresses to, well, if God said it, planting that little seed of doubt. Maybe God didn't say that. Maybe that's not what God said. That's the enemy trying to get you to turn on promise, to, to not trust God to not believe in the promise that He gave you. Amen? When your patience is tested and the enemy comes knocking, you can pick up the Bible and throw it right at him. I don't mean literally. I mean figuratively with the words of God that come out of your mouth. Romans 9.5 says, God will do what He said He would do. That right there will stop the devil in his tracks. Nope. Nope. God will do what he said he would do. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Jeremiah 1.12 The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Those are the kinds of scriptures you need when you come up against that. And when the devil is saying, "You you don't have time for this, patience. God has not changed. God is not texting you. God is not um, pressuring you for anything. Patience is waiting on the Lord. Now, it's not waiting for Him to tell you something to do. If He's told you to do it, go do it. But if you've done what He said, then you trust Him to perform His will. You've got three scriptures right there. He'll do it. I will do it. I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. He's all about keeping His promises. He's trustworthy. Amen. When we trust in Him, there's no pressure. That is the peace and rest that comes and develops as we trust Him. I trust Him to perform His word. Amen. Amen. And the last step is obedience. And I wrote down, be quick to obey. I want to go back to the scripture. Genesis 22 verse 3 says, uh, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Now, there's two words there that stuck out to me immediately. Early and next. Very good. Now, if God asked me to sacrifice my son, I'd have to pick one. and any given day, it could be either one. I'm just kidding. But if God asked me to do it, I can assure you that I I, I would like to think that I had that kind of faith. But the reality of it is, I would start asking questions like this. Does it have to be now? Now is really not convenient. I have other pressing commitments. Can you tell his mother for me? I don't want to have to explain this later. And it's funny, but Abraham has to have had these thoughts. This was Sarah's child too. Sarah wasn't there. There's no indication to us that she was there. Or would, would, would you not ask some of these things? Surely it can wait until my finances are in, are in order. Is there a more convenient time? Can we have one more birthday? Can we celebrate one more birthday? The point is, you would look for a stall tactic. And that's what we do. Fortunately, God's never required that of me or of anybody in this room, I hope. But... but I know in my heart that that it would be hard for me not to try and stall something like that. And yet I also know that if I hear from him and I trust him, I'll be quick to do it. That's why the example is in the Bible. But early and next tell me that he got up. He did not delay it. He did not procrastinate. He didn't say, get up and roll over and think, you know, maybe I'll just wait till after lunch to head out. He didn't wait till next week. I'm sure he was a busy man. He had a lot going on. I'm sure it was not convenient to get up the next morning and take a trip. Which means, the night before, when God was telling him all this, preparations began. Because if he left early, there would have been, it says, servants to go with him. There would have been supplies to gather. Amen? Amen? So he started immediately being responsive to God. I'm amazed at that. I think that's that's an incredible thing. But um, Abraham was quick in his response because he did not look at things through the natural lens. He had an understanding that spiritual things are spiritual. That is a transition that... If we could get our young people to make that, would impact their. it would, would totally change the course of their lives from a young age because a lot of adults still haven't made that transition. We still aren't seeing things the way God sees them. We're looking at it in the natural. We're trying to apply logic. We're trying to apply reason when they're, they're irrelevant in a spiritual sense. Whatever the answer God says, do it. Amen? He knew he knew that he heard from the Lord, he listened, and he obeyed. And then this, is, this I thought was really good, and you could actually take a whole uh, Bible study around this, but I'll just give you a taste of it, and you can go study it out more for yourself. But obedience, I put on there, we have help. Obedience is the ultimate test of faith. When we were talking about Abraham's obedience in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, I said that Abraham's obedience took him to a place of faith, Abraham's obedience was a means to faith. It was what got him to a place of faith. And, and in the Old Testament, we uh, see that often it was a test of faith in God. Does that make sense? It's a test of, do you have faith in me? Do you trust me? It was a test of faith in God. But in the New Testament, there's very good news for us. Romans 1.5 says, we'll read the whole, um, start with verse 1. Um, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who, was, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Because of Jesus, we have obedience to faith. There's a difference. The obedience to faith in the Old Testament was was to a place of, of, do I have faith in God? Do you have trust in me? Now, the sacrifice has been made on our behalf. And I know the whole story of Isaac is all a, a... Uh, indication of what was to come with the Messiah, but all of that happened. We now have faith through Jesus. Abraham didn't have that. He was proving his faith through his action. We have faith through Jesus Christ. That's a big deal, folks. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Study that out. Look at the Old Testament and see what faith, uh, what uh, obedience was in the Old Testament. And now then look at obedience in the New Testament. We have a new and better covenant. Right. When I said that about God hasn't required that of you, He doesn't have to because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, those requirements have been met. And through faith in Jesus, we are obedient. That's how we show our obedience to God. That's good right there. I'm learning something else, see? And the last one is there is protection and provision and obedience. Who, uh, we've been talking a little bit about parenting. I talk about parenting because we work with children a lot. But um, all of us had parents. Whether you're a parent or not, you had a parent. Anybody who didn't have a parent, please don't raise your hand. We'll have you escorted for some help. You all have parents. We all can look back at times in our lives when we talked to our parents or when our parents uh, said, no, you can't do this. No, you can't go to a party. No, you're not going to go do that today. I had a conversation just in the last couple of weeks of someone who their kids had done the, had a regular weekly trip that they made. They went with some other kids and, and did some lessons. I don't remember exactly what the lessons were, but it doesn't matter. It was something they did all the time. And one week, strong check, no, you're not going this week. Mom, I go every week. You trust them, you this? No. Have a strong check. You're not going. And fortunately, the other children's lives were spared, but they were in a serious car accident. Was there a cost to, being, to that obedience or, or, or a, a cost that wasn't paid because of obedience? I didn't say that very well. But you get the point. There's a cost to disobedience. And parents, um, there's times when when our children want a no or want a yes, and we have to give them a no. There's times when you want a yes from God, and He's going to give you a no. We have to remember those are times when He's keeping us safe, when He's kept us from a situation or uh, something happening that we were not prepared to handle. Spared you from being in the wrong place at the wrong time and often makes a difference between life and death in a situation. If you, everything I just described, that relationship as a parent, is exactly how parents need to relate to their children. I said this, I've said it before, Brother Moore has said it actually. Um, I'm gonna paraphrase it, but the what the way that your children respond to you. The way you let them talk to you or don't. The way that you let them interact with you or don't. The way you let them run all over you or don't. The way that they obey you. The way that they listen to you. All of those things are how they're going to relate to God as they get older. You are that figure to them as a child. And that's why I have a very um, simple answer for people that are like, I don't, you know, my kids. Children are children. They're to be taught and trained and brought up. And we're to love them. But we're to love them the way God loves us. Which is to say, you have to check your heart. And no means no. No. If your no means yes sometimes and they keep begging until they get it, that's exactly what they're going to try to do with God. And the difference is they might beg God into letting them to do something that he never says yes, but they do it anyway and it costs them. It makes that decision as a parent of a young child very easy. They're going to be mad at you until you get them an ice cream cone tomorrow. But they're alive. It's the truth. And as parents, you need to remember that. Little things matter. If you think little things don't matter, you need to read this a little bit more. God gave, gives very specific instructions over and over and over and over. And I, you know, you've heard us tell stories around here of, of um, Mrs. Moore gave instructions on how things were to be done. I have learned that if she takes the time to give us instructions... I'm not thinking about that as I go through. I have instructions. I don't try to apply logic and reason to it. This is, these are the three things she said do. I'm going to do those things. And you know why? Because I have learned to trust that she hears from God. That's a building of trust too. With someone who has the best interests of the church and the people in mind. I'm not going to deviate from that because if I do that, that's on me. I trust that this is how it's going to be done. God requires that of us as a people. He's going to say, I want you to do it this way. And we have a lot of Christians that have been brought up and kind of allowed to do it their way. And God's going to stand there and go, I love you, but that's not not how I do things. We talk about teams in this regard. How many of you are... Have been on a team of sports outside of, not not church necessarily, but on sports. What happens if a team doesn't show up, some player doesn't show up? It changes everything. And depending on the game, you have to forfeit the game. You don't have enough players on the bench to do it. So we'll do that. We'll make sure we make baseball practice. We'll make sure we do that. But but my, you know, teams at church are a completely different thing. Ooh. Got a run-side on tech of mine. I'm not trying to put condemnation on you. I'm just trying to say that the things of God, spiritual things, are spiritual. And we want these things to work. And we listen to God. And He says, get involved, do this, just like He does in other areas of life. You ought to be listening to Him about what you're involved in on your sports and stuff, too. That's good. I'm not saying those are bad things, but listen to Him. You trust that He's put you in that situation, but you still have to obey. The rules don't change just because it's inconvenient. Right? I don't mean for that to be harsh. I'm just saying the reality of it is that what we want is to get all back to the beginning. We want all of the blessings. We want everything that God poured out on Abraham. We want everything that Jesus did on the cross. We want everything, 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 and we don't want to pay a cost for any of it. And the truth is, it's all free. Your salvation was free. God requires nothing of you to be saved except to accept and receive it. It's a free gift. Healing was done on the cross. It's yours to receive. But there are going to be steps where you need to listen, and you need to trust, and you need to obey, and do what He says to get there. Amen? Does that make sense? And then I went on there. We talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but was Abraham's faith, was his obedience to God. Did it impact more than Abraham? Did it impact more than his family? The scripture says nations are blessed because of your faithfulness. Jonah, talking about Bible, must be Bible story night. I should have had my little, what are those called? The felt boards. I should have brought felt boards out here tonight. I could have told you the story in felts. That would have been fun. (laughs) but Jonah did Jonah's disobedience affect more than Jonah how much do you think the cargo was worth that they had to throw off that ship did that economically impact some lives that had nothing really nothing to do with Jonah's obedience why because they were associated with him he was on that boat and you can say well once they threw him overboard, which he had to talk him into doing, by the way. Once they threw him overboard, they were saved. No one perished. But there was still an impact. That cargo was gone. It affected them. Disobedience affects more than just you. The other, you know, um, many times that we've been reading through the Gospels recently, right? Because everybody at Faith Life Church reads their chapters, and that's what we've been doing—is reading through the Gospels. Right? It struck me—I um, guess it was maybe Monday. I think um, it was Monday when we were reading. I wrote down on my paper "as you go," and I thought, how many times Jesus instructed the disciples? And then, in this specific instance, it was around the Passover. Where, where, where are we going to? Where are we going to celebrate this? I have this feast. And he would say, as you go, and follow with explicit instructions, there will be a man with a with a back, you know, carrying something, and there will be a or there, yeah, there will be a donkey, a new donkey that no one's ever. Very specific instructions, but oftentimes it was as you go that that the obedience of going got them to where they needed to be. They could have said. You know, we had, we had, one of my sons is a little shyer than the other. So when it comes to asking questions, he would rather suffer than ask a question. That's just how, not anymore. He's grown out of it. He's grown up. He's a good man. But there was time when it would be like, you need to go and ask the question. Not because I didn't know the answer, but because he needed to ask the question. There's obedience in the going. If you stand there and go, I don't want to go talk to them. If I if I said okay I'll speak but I go and stand this way. If I don't look at them they won't say anything and I don't say anything for an hour. I would never do that. I I want to be obedient. So I have to do it. I have to prepare. I have to be willing to come up here and talk to you. Do fells. Do whatever it takes. But I have to be obedient in the going. There's an action that's required. Amen. So we listen, we trust We know that through obedience we're protected and we will see His reward. We listen, we trust, and we obey. God has a distinct plan for each one of us. He's not trying to hide it from us. If you look at the Old Testament, how many prophets did He send to try and get His word to the people? He wanted them to hear. He wanted them to be saved. He wanted to spare them, but they wouldn't hear. We we don't want to be like that. We know He has provided that communication for us. He has given us the means to listen. He just asks that we do it. He's given us the the reasons to trust in Him. He's just asking us to to flex that trust muscle, grow in that relationship with Him. Trust Him more and more and more with more and more of yourself. And then He wants us to obey. And whatever he says, what do we learn about with miracles? Whatever he says, do it. Amen? Oftentimes when things aren't going right, you're not seeing the provision and the protection, what do you do? Sometimes we think we hear, but we're stuck. And that provision and that protection doesn't seem to be there. doesn't seem to be happening. Furthermore, just to, or maybe Mrs. Moore, I think actually two weeks ago, touched on it again. You go back. When was the last thing that you were sure about that God told you that you knew for a fact? And I'm going to close with this. There's there's a time in your life that God's going to call you to do something, and it's going to require you to step out. It's going to require you to step out of your comfort zone and whatever that is and not everybody's going to speak not everybody's going to travel not everybody's going to get up in front of people but he's going to call you and you're going to hear that voice if I'm all I've, I've never really been surprised when I have to get up here and when I get to get up here and speak because at least a week or so before the Lord's like you probably ought to be starting to get something ready God's not trying to surprise any of us you have to listen I'm thankful I did <laughs> mm-hmm. thankful I did because by the time that it, you know, when they, when the time comes to call, it's easier if you already kind of have some direction, and you've had some quiet time with the Lord. But you have to listen. You have to be willing to obey. It's not enough to hear. You have to step out and say, "Lord, it's not my comfort zone, but I'll do it because you've asked me to do it." And and in between those, you're going to trust. You're going to trust that He who called you is faithful, and He'll deliver on it. Amen. Stand up on your feet. I thank you for being attentive.